Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my buddy, my pal, coming back for the big part two, Nicholas Wojciechowski, a.k.a. Nick Woj, a.k.a. Wojavelli, a.k.a. One of the coolest people I know, designer for concept skates out of Boston, a a just just a, a a real Renaissance person when it comes to the discussion of music and and culture. We'll get into all this in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. This is run by my brother and show producer. And uh, Tristan Abraham, and, and normally guest booker, but not this week. Uh, thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do on this show. I really appreciate it. I love you, buddy, so much. Uh, also, if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can find me at various forms of social media at left for damien If you want to support the show, just tell everyone you know about it. Just let everyone know uh, that you listen to this thing. Or you can subscribe to it or rate it on iTunes or... or uh, uh, you know, what else could you do to support? Oh, you can head over to patreon.com slash turn out a punk and check out the fun over there and footnotes and whatnot. Or you can, um, uh, you know, just, just, just listen, just listen. That supports it too. Um, <laughs> speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a couple years ago and said, Damien, do your thing. Just don't lose money doing it, and uh, I gotta, I gotta thank them for that. Thank you so much to everyone at Vans. There's also a Facebook page that I forgot to mention, and a Tumblr page, and an Instagram page, and all the, all that stuff. So just look up "Turned Out a Punk" wherever you are, and uh, if if we're not there, uh, make your own. <laughs> no, don't. Well, yeah, do it. Fuck it. Who cares? Make it, make it turn out a punk TikTok. Just make it good. Make it tasteful. Make it good. Uh, okay, on to today's show. Today on the show, we got my buddy Nick Woj here. Uh, he's been on before, part one, way back when, one of the earlier episodes. Uh, Nick Woj is, of course, from Cold World, an incredible band that I'm a huge fan of. He's also an unbelievable DJ, and uh, and but also an, a really, you know, gifted designer. Um, I think that was apparent back in Cold World, even. Like, you look at some of their merch, you know, they were the band that... They really uh, revolutionized the merch game in hardcore. Uh, and uh, but anyway, I'm not going to ramble on because this is a long episode. This is a long ass episode, but it's good. This is for you know. This is like the uh, the hardcore scientist masterclass type thing. The stuff we're getting into and the and the areas we're going and and there's some debate there. There's some debate between uh, Woj and myself. But uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore because I do a lot of these things now. So I will be talking to you in a few days. So. Sit back, relax, and enjoy 
Nick Woj on Turned Out a Punk. Nick, thank you for coming back on the show. Yeah, man, it's an honor, bro. Well, as we were just talking off air, it's been a well, it's been a long time. Like we, we haven't <laughs> talked for like you're like one of the first run of people I've had on this thing. Yeah, dude, I feel shortchanged because um, I didn't get a uh, a footnotes. You will, you will now. You know, okay. I'll send you your footnotes so you can hear it. But uh, yeah, no, I, I got like a, a an honorable mention in a footnotes where you had David up and he was like talking shit on having to screen Cold World shirts. But that's about it. <laughs> I think your legend has grown large on footnotes, especially too, because Chris O'Toole and I, and you know, like I think we brought it up there, and so I'll bring it up to you off the bat. Weird way to start it, but okay. It's like you know, you kind of think about we've talked about Spaz being almost like the Beastie Boys of hardcore of a, a different <laughs> era, and I would I would say Cold World was in a lot of ways, you know, kind of like that. You know, obviously scale being different and acknowledging that, but at the same time, like a band that like in yourself in particular, bringing all sorts of like cultural influences into a different space, recontextualizing it all and creating something out of it. And then also the wild stories uh, from uh, Cold World Tours far exceed any of the wild stories in that Beastie Boys book or documentary. <laughs> um, well, you know what? I'll, I'll concede to um, the spaz, uh, the, the, the spaz link because I'll, I'll put it like this, like, like when, you know, like in the nineties on the East coast, you know, that scene, the people that were, that like loved that were like, to me, like, you know, look back then I was, I was a fucking dork. I was a geek. I was not cool. You know? So I was, I was, you know, probably a poser and, and trying to figure out what was cool and, and whatever. But the people that were like into spaz and capitalist casualties and all those bands, they were like annoying. Like they were the dudes that would like throw the horn, like have the horns up all the time, like during sets and be like, yeah, like they're like always like joking and, and stuff like that. And you know, when you're, when you're a teenager and you're getting into straight edge hardcore, it's like real serious, you know, how dare they, uh, joke around and have fun. You know what I mean? So, so, so like as an outsider, I didn't know anything about that music. So I never, I never checked any of those bands out because to me, like, you know, power violence or whatever you call it, I know, I know you're not supposed to call it power violence or whatever, unless it's those, those specific bands, but, um, from the East coast without knowing the lore, you know, those, it, it's just like annoying, like, um, you know, funny guy shit. <laughs> so I kind of see it where like now, like if someone's into like good hardcore and punk, and they they see like Cold World fans at the time in like the the mid two thousands or whenever it was, and they were like these idiots in flat bill hats. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> dress how dudes dress like that, and these and people were trying to get into like good hardcore. They're like, oh, I'm not whatever Cold World is. I'm not getting into that because you know I don't want to be like those people. So to me, that's the link between Cold World and Spaz. But but then like later on, you know. I, I found out the lore on all those bands and finally checked them out. And I was like, Oh my God, like this, there's so much, there's so much to this scene and the music is obviously amazing and they did their own thing. And without the, the st stigma of these annoying dudes, uh, you know, uh, piggybacking and, and, or, or whatever, like in the pit, like in the East coast without them around to, to, um, put me off to it. This shit's awesome. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully people, 
I, th- I kind of see that happening now where like people like a lot of people thought Cold World were whack, you know, people with good taste and then eventually came around. Like I remember before Haroon's bro- before Haroon was in the band, I remember his brother on the rev board called this hilarious rap metal. And, uh, you know, later on he, he was, uh, he became a fan and his brother was in the band and stuff. So I, I kind of draw, uh, a link like that personally. Yeah. It's kind of funny how differently, uh, power violence was taken up on the East coast versus the West coast. Like mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and in the same way, I would also argue that like, particularly the more epitaph side of the epifat stuff, but like that shit in the, in California was very different than it was out here on the East coast or in Canada where it was like a lot more little kid music uh, or younger kid music, I should say. Yeah, I mean, just from hearing a couple guests on your show, like describe, like, yeah, you go to a Pennywise show and get your ass whooped. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's totally. It's amazing how those geographical differences. Like, that's the other thing that's really picked up on them doing the show. Like, is how those little things make all the difference, and like how you can't really understand a band unless you grew up in that scene, like around them. Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I definitely feel with Cold World, I, I, I get it. Like I got it, I, but like right from the beginning with me, I, I kind of saw, you know, from the that you know it was like a bunch of people that knew hardcore inside and out, and, and yourself, like especially like just the the way you've kind of gone in your life and and the way the paths you've kind of gone down, like you've just had that eye for cool stuff in the same way that I would say like you know when you looked at Grand Royal magazine, like you'd flip through mm-hmm. it and, and it wouldn't just be like cool stuff from one space it would be all different spaces kind of being looked at dude totally i mean just that specific reference i mean i remember like looking having like grand royal magazines and it would be like an extensive article on like dj magic mike and like um like miami bass music and then they'd have like you know some bruce lee stuff or or whatever something about like vintage adidas and then there'd be like a flexi of like bismarcky uh, covering Elton John. I think that was like one issue. So yeah, like I, you know, I, I, th- I think that's a good, uh, reference point for cold world, but also like, you know, I, th- I think in the last episode, like I went hard, like describing, I went a little too hard on describing like the, our like older generations in, in Wilkes-Barre, uh, in the scene, like just kind of complaining about how maybe like narcissistic they were in a way, but, but, I kind of take it back, you know, cause, cause they were, I think they were like that too, you know, like they, they were so, they were just, they were themselves, you know, and they did their own thing. And, and we kind of like got all different angles of punk and hardcore from the, from the older generations in Wilkes-Barre. It wasn't so dogmatic, um, other than some of like the political stuff, which, which I, I also think is, is dope that they were like that. So, so I, I, I kind of like credit, uh, Wilkes-Barre the the older Wilkes-Barre dudes to that not you know they didn't not directly but just you know just just coming up in that scene you have like a more of an open mind it's also funny how heavy you know I think we've probably gone to it a little bit last time but how heavy like punk rock and hardcore hit in in Wilkes-Barre like it it was such a huge you know like it's, it doesn't seem geographically very big but like the amount of stuff that was going on and the amount of stuff that was happening there it just feels like it was uh, a lot more than even some bigger cities yeah i don't I, yeah it's it, i i just listened to um a podcast with the dude Shane from Title Fight uh the other day and and the interview asked interviewer asked him about that 
and he, you know, he went to this, the thing that people always say that it's like, it's like a, you know, it's a stop between New York and Philly, you know? And I think there, there's definitely something to that. But on the other hand, like, I don't know, dude, like the, the, the shows that I was, I was seeing in Wilkes-Barre, um, it had nothing to do with touring, touring bands, you know, it, it was, it was, it was really, you know, you know, it was nineties VFW hall basement, uh, stuff, you know, like what mineral were on their huge tour and they had a, you know, they needed another pit stop. I don't <laughs> we think need a so. routing date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think also like, uh, you know, a lot of Wilkes-Barre became, you know, and you guys were, I think were definitely were part of this too, especially in the later part of this, but like became the destination. Like mm-hmm. no one was going to, to fest in New York city and you know, there were fests in Philadelphia, but like posi numbers was the fest. Yeah, man. I, that, that was like, you know, that, that was a, that was a sick time, man. It was, it was, uh, it was like, what was cool about it? It was, it was completely DIY, you know, it was just like a, a small group of kids doing the whole thing. It wasn't in a, in an arena or a place that it was just in a, it was in a pla- place that we had normal shows at, you know, mm-hmm. same, same thing with the Wilkes-Barre Fest that, um, that proceeded that, that was before it. Um, you know, they had it in, in the, the fire hall there in Kingston and, uh, it was dope, man. And once again, to, to make one of my overreaching analogies, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to look at, you know, people talk about New York and, and especially now, like a big deal's made if you look at the early 80s and the late 70s and you have like the birth of rap music and the birth of punk rock happening kind of simultaneously and the birth of graffiti. It's kind of like in suburban Pennsylvania and into Philadelphia and in parts of New Jersey, you got this whole independent hardcore scene going on. And then you also have simultaneously this whole independent pro wrestling scene also mm-hmm. kind of happening and both of them become foundational for their separate worlds. Um, but you don't see that happening in other parts of America at the same time. Like you have wrestling stuff, but it's not like the same and you have hardcore stuff, but it's not really the same. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's just, a. Uh, um, I don't know what it is about, about the, that tri-state area or whatever. I think, Sometimes I hear people say tri-state areas like Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, and sometimes they say it's New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. I think it depends on where you live, yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. I mean, I, I, um, you know, I have friends like from from LA and 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 uh, Cali and stuff, and I, it's weird when I when I hear them talk about like what they came up on. They're like, yeah, you know, like stuff that. Not to not to diss it, but but it's like you know like like their floor punch was like eighteen visions or something, you know? and uh, and it's just like a different. I don't know. We were on we were on some some a different a different wave. It's just it was so regional, you know. It comes back yeah. to that idea of like this like sort of regional development, and I guess it's because you didn't necessarily have the outside influences, and you didn't have like like now it feels like there's almost like seismic shifts that happen, and people start going in one direction or in another direction. Whereas you didn't really have the ability to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's true because I, I think it, it wasn't like, you know, when, um, when my group of friends, like when we found out about one thing, we didn't say, okay, everything we liked before this sucks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which I, which I think is, is, is a modern thing, you know? Um, so you know, it's it's like when when me and Alex got started getting into, you know, 
super more obscure New York hardcore demos or, or whatever. It's like we didn't like go out and burn our Texas is the reason tape, you know? <laughs> Keep coming back to emo. Dude, that that was the thing then. That was the thing there. That that was that was by far the biggest the biggest scene. Not scene, but I mean that that was something that everybody rocked with there. So I think that I think that had a big influence on us, to be honest. It's funny too, like you look at the the you know, really popular bands that kind of came out of that area as well in the last few years, and it's still emo. Yeah, man. Uh, t- yeah, title fight. I mean, well, and also like even like you know like the the goth boy click stuff yeah. and uh, ti- Tiger's Jaw as well, and yeah, it's like a, a real leaning towards that. Certain stuff like that, I, I I have a hard time finding the the link between like our emo and their emo. I I, I kind of don't buy it. Not Tiger's Jaw, but goth boy click and a lot of that stuff. I think at some point it becomes a stretch to tie them to, to, you know, fire hall emo. I think their emo is like white belt emo. You know what I mean? I think it's, to me, that's different. Yeah. I see what you're saying, but I think even like fire hall emo, like, you know, like late nineties fire hall emo was so different from like DC, uh, space emo. I I mean, uh, it was in in the fact that they were they were like you know making like poppy like schmaltzy love songs for sure like you know like rites of spring or, or whatever weren't weren't doing that, but that was definitely their influence. You know what I mean? Where I I, I think that if you were to you know to take one of those bands off of uh, the cover of AP magazine or whatever it was, they they don't know what any of that is, man. I think they I think they think they created their own thing. I I, I think linking those two those two emos is a stretch, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I've had a couple people from that kind of world, not maybe that, that world that we're talking like the AP magazine cover world. Yeah. But you know, I've had a few people on that, that kind of touched that world. And it's, a, it's amazing how like there are those, still those links, you know, and it's maybe it's not like mineral, but it's probably like, um, you know, maybe it's just Brazil or, but it's probably Jimmy world. Yeah, maybe. Which does connect know. back. I think it's all Blink One Eighty Two, man. I think it's. I think they're like, yeah. I heard Blink One Eighty Two, and then I heard Attack Attack or whatever, like that. I think it's like that MySpace stuff. I think that's their DC. You know, I I think it's I think it's separate. But then it still connects back, right? Like Blink One Eighty Two, uh, their record was produced by O, who uh, was in Fluff and All of Lawn before that. And and was that like the early rock from the crypt practices and unbroken <laughs> shows? So it all connects back. Yeah, all right, all right. I that's, know that's your I know that's your job. That's my job. That's my <laughs> job, dude. I'm like, you know, my new thing is I don't want to play uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon anymore. <laughs> now it's now it's Six Degrees of Gigi Allen. Okay. Any, yeah, everyone you, connects you back. That. You can get yeah, people can. back to Gigi all the time, right? So that's, yep. that's the new game. Um, we're gonna try. I, I mean, dude, I'm sure Gigi spent spent some some drunken nights in Wilkes Bear. Oh, I guarantee it. <laughs> I would yeah. imagine there's no way that, that didn't happen. Actually, isn't that Youth of the Day photo from? I mean, it's from Philadelphia. The one with all, or maybe it must be Connecticut with all the Youth of the Day guys yeah. and Gigi yeah, together. I think I think it's Connecticut. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure there was some Wilkes Bar parties. Who was like the Wilkes? Were there bands in that era from there? There must have been. 
Yeah, dude. There was um, there was a big there was a big skinhead scene in northeastern Pennsylvania in the eighties. Um, a lot of a lot of it sketchy, obviously. Yeah. Um, I don't know about like. I don't know. I don't know any like bands, any '80s hardcore punk bands from Wilkes-Barre per se. Um, but I think there was, yeah. You know, I, I think Allentown was was where everything was going down in the '80s. Mm-hmm. It's fu- it's funny then even more that there's this scene that kind of pops up, like with like what what were the bands that led? Like were there bands that before Magnus, like hardcore bands? Yeah, there was. Um, there was this band uh, called So What. Um, there was there was this kind of like I don't know how to describe them. They were like kind of like a more traditional punk band called Fabulous Disaster. Um, oh, did they put out records on like a bigger label at some point too? Maybe. I, I think there was another band with that name. Okay, okay, that could be it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- they were around a long time, and I I remember like seeing them a couple times. They were more like. I don't. I don't know how to just to describe them. They weren't like seventy seven style punk. Like they weren't that cool. They were more like, I don't know. They were they were like older punk guys that have been around a long time, and I think we're we're actually trying to like ride the epitaph, the epifat wave. Mm-hmm. Like, but but their you know like their logo was like seventy seven style looking, and yeah, I remember them. There was like um, before Magnus, dude. There's. There was this awesome band from Wilkes-Barre. They were more like on the metalcore side. They were called Burial Ground. Um, they had a, a CD and were um, they had a split seven inch with a band from Florida. But um, dude, I would I would suggest everyone look them up. They had a CD called Let Us Pray, and they dude, I think they're the best the best band from Wilkes-Barre. I just they're pulled singing. out of my tape collection. The burial ground, let us pray, limited edition tape demo that came with a, uh, a, a American penny glued to a piece of paper. But I <laughs> love that fucking demo, dude. They're so good. They're um, so good. Oh, I I haven't thought about that, but I always thought they were from Florida. No, no, they're from Wilkes Barre. Um, the singer Jamie. Yeah. So the thing that I that I I think I texted you. I was like, oh, dude, I have like crazy like. Wilkes-Barre like dark lore that I didn't drop on on the first one so like I guess like a precipice to it was is you know that that dude Jamie um he was like one of the dudes who who would uh flyer at the mall and stuff he was like he was like you know he was a cool guy in the scene but he you know he was like super into horror horror movies and I think like death metal before that was like super normal in hardcore um I remember their drummer was this little uh, Asian dude and he had like a full on death metal drum kit, you know, the double, double kick, like, you know, like Neil Pert style. It would take up like half of the room. <laughs> yeah. But um, they were from like, um, I think they had members from like Wilkes-Barre and from Scranton. Um, but anyway, he, you know, he had, he had a drug problem and he, and he died and he was like one of the first dudes from, from the scene to die. But um, they – one of my first shows uh, Dan from Magnus put on, it was like Burial Ground. And it was at this place called Society for the Deaf. I remember they used to always cover um, We Are 138 and uh, Holiday in Cambodia. I think that they might even cover that on the demo. They do California Uber Alice on the tape. Oh, that's what they played. Yep. Um, but dude, that dude's voice was really sick. And yeah. anyway – 
a kid from like the band the first band i was in went on to like to like play in like the last incarnation of that band this kid nate um but yeah they were sick there was also this band from wilkesbury called option um they uh you know they were they were like more like you know that mid-tempo stompy shit they they predated magnus they probably came out like 91 okay um Bed- Bedford, they they predate Magnus. Um, there was a band, Sunburns Cold. They had a demo. They they weren't bad. Uh, trying to trying to think, you know, there, dude. There's a lot of bands actually. And so, would Magnus play with those bands, or like where would Magnus play? Um. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't an original member of Magnus, so I saw their their first shows, and they were you know they were in the mix with with the regular Wilkes-Barre scene, so. So they would play with emo bands and screamo bands, uh, you know, whoever was in town and a lot of, I think like a lot of local shows, you know, like they play with Bedford and stuff, but yeah, they definitely played with burial ground. Um, I think like the, the other bands that I mentioned, like, um, option and, and stuff, I think they were, they were broken up for the most part by then. Oh dude, another thing, there was this like seven inch comp back then it was called the seven. Cause back then, right Right now, Wilkes-Barre area code is 570, but back then it was 717. There was a comp 7-inch called the 717 comp, Um, and it had – I'm trying to – you know Jamie Getz, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it had his first band, Outcome. Um, It was them, Brothers Keeper, who, you know, from Erie or something like that. Um, Lake effect in effect. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, something, something to prove shouts to them. Yeah. Uh, and there was a band called Deckard that were like a, like a Northeastern PA, like they're like kind of heavier emo. And then they turned into, um, I think they were called mid, mid Carson July. Oh yeah. They're, I remember Carson July. Definitely. Yeah. I, dude, I kind of fuck with them actually. Yeah. They were, they were they were good. Their drummer was like really good. That was, dude, that was the thing back then was for all those emo bands that have like crazy drummers. I remember. Yeah, even Grade. I remember Grade yeah. had really good drummers too. Yeah, you're right. It was. I guess you need that. You need someone to hold it down so everyone else can just be <laughs> yeah, flailing around. around. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I mean, I saw. Um, like I saw my friend sent me a flyer the other night. It was like um, Magnus, you and I, Ink and Dagger, and um, Our Time, which was like the, the the roll on the floor band that I was in towards the end. <laughs> so yeah, it was. It, I mean, they play with uh, like Kid Dynamite when they first started. You know, it, it was everybody played with everybody then. You know, it wasn't it wasn't homogenized or whatever. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh... But when did when did that like I guess we talked about this last time though but because there must have been a point where you know it started going right I think when it started like like when when what started going like, like, like when I mean like through like when like because at one point like it was like a lot of shows there not just posi numbers but like yeah like it was the place to go to play shows well that was all the dude Bob Mack the dude who put on posi numbers you know he he um he was always involved in whatever venue was open at the time. I think like the back in the day, like in the eighties and early nineties, the, the, the venue in Wilkes-Barre was, uh, I think there was this place called the factory, mm-hmm. um, like shelter played there. Um, then and I think there was like bands at like a roller skating rink, 
like I think like they had crazy shows there. Like I want to say like White Zombie and like Pantera and and shit like that played at like the skating rink. I don't know this like Dan Mills and this dude Chris Thomas like they they were around then so they they would know that stuff. Um, <laughs> then there was this cafe called Manus Green, and that was where one of my first shows were. Um, it was just like a little little cafe um, down on the square in Wilkes-Barre, and the people who owned that turned that into Cafe Metropolis, which spanned two. Di- it was in two different locations eventually, not at the same time, but it. it so that place had a lot of gigs, um, and I th- I can't remember if like yeah, home base I think was at the same time as Cafe Metropolis towards the end. But anyway, yeah, Bob and like. These other two dudes, they started this place, home base, um, in this big ass. Uh, were you ever there? No, and uh, no, Mike and Josh were because they okay. got. That's where they, I think they were both asked to leave positive numbers for going on the roof. Oh, really? I think. Uh, well, no, home base was the dome, right? No, no, no. Home base was like it, it was in this big, this big like industrial like. I don't know what the hell it was, but you know, it, it, there, there was like offices there and stuff, but. I don't know. It was like a big ass room with like a load, a loading dock and stuff. And then the, the two dudes that, that, that I think at first it was like, it was these two dudes, Carl G, uh, this dude, Vince, and this other guy who was like this crazy, like tattoo dude who was into like collecting. I remember like he, he hearing about him, like buying like human skulls and shit like that. He was a weird dude, but the dude, Carl G and Vince, they were, they were like ex hardcore dudes. And like, there was a big wave of, of hardcore dudes that when like shelter got big, a lot of people like got into the Krishna movement and then somehow like turned into like, got super big into, um, the rave scene and became DJs or producers or whatever. And I think these two dudes were in that wave of, of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, and they were, they were like really nice guys. And the one dude, Vince was a tattoo artist, but the dude, Carl G, he was, um, they were both like techno DJs, but the dude, Carl was like a producer. Like he had a room at home base that was all like gear and he would let me go back. Like he knew I was into, um, you know, like drum and bass and stuff like that and hip hop. So he would t- let me like fuck with his gear and show me how to do stuff he was the man and he actually turned out like super successful. I think he's like Mary J. Blige's like uh sound man or some something crazy like that. Like he he's like he like made it in music, which is so sick. But um yeah, so and then Bob Mack got involved because he started booking shows there. Um those dudes would try to have like raves and stuff and it would just be like, you know, five people in this <laughs> g- giant giant thing. <laughs> um, and then Bob Mack started putting on shows and they were, they were really big and, uh, he became a partner in it. And I forget why they, they, I don't know. I think their partnership kind of, they lost interest in it maybe, or they, they moved. And then he, then he moved it to a different location within that complex. Mm-hmm. And he went in on it with these dudes that were into wrestling I do. I forgot about this. So this is right up your alley. So they would have so that the space then it, they started calling it the zoo instead of home base, and that was where um, the Posse numbers where Agnostic Front played was. Um, and I think that was yeah, that was where the first Posse number 
Posse Numbers Cold World played. Um, yeah, so that 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 they had like wrestling there. Dan was a was a, a referee at wrestling there. <laughs> referee Dan, I'll have to get. I'll send you the picture. He had like a promo pick and everything. <laughs> was he actually training at that point? Nah, I mean, dude, this is like backyard jackasses. But I think some of those dudes took it semi seriously. But you know, they're like backwoods. You know. Wilkes-Barre people. I'm I don't sure know. some of those dudes are actually probably legit wrestlers now because it seems like a lot of people that I've talked to got their start after <laughs> a certain point in the backyard. I don't I don't think any of these guys were, but who, <laughs> who knows? I don't know. I mean, they were doing – I think they were doing the thumbtack thing and, and stuff like that. I remember seeing a couple of the, of the, of the shows and, you know, it was, it was, it was what it was. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think once Bob Mackley started really um, – Cause, but, but before him, you know, there, there was this group of, of guys because you know what? I, I described the one dude, Ed Gita, to you and, and the last one and you didn't – it didn't ring a bell. But mm-hmm. if I tell you that he sang for the band An Albatross. Oh, that, yeah. I okay. definitely know that band. So the, before he was like the dude in that band who would like put his hands down his pants or whatever stuff he's doing now, um, he was like, you know, like the – the fucking coolest dude in the scene. <laughs> so like him and this dude, Ted Kropovich, um, they, and probably a couple other guys, you know, they, I think they were called like firefly or mayfly productions or something like that. They put on, they put on the original Wilkes-Barre uh, fest and they put on a lot of really good shows back then. So I think, I think Bob Mack kind of like took the torch from them, uh, you know, not like, you know, they didn't like sit down and have a meeting like they would these days. But, uh, you know, I think he learned from, from those guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like that time in the scene where, where, uh, you know, American nightmare and right brigade and, and no warning and that whole wave was happening at the same time. And, you know, I think Bob, you know, Bob was, was right there. And at the same time he would, book uh saves the day and and piebald and that kind of stuff so I, th- I think like yeah i think that's when it was was like going as as you as you put it yeah and if you look at those scenes like it's you know like obviously very different sonically but once again like a few years earlier like they would have been tied together right like saves the day at one point had x members of mouthpiece in it yeah definitely i mean and even like uh yeah, I mean, it was pretty incestuous. I mean, you know, like, the, what was that band on Rev? Movie, movie something? Movie Life? Yeah, like, there was stuff like that. And, like, you know, like, Fast Break, I think we're trying to get into the, the Saves of the Day scene or whatever. So, yeah, there, it, it was all kind of tied together at that point. You know, even Piebald, like, you know, what, t- Ten Yard Fight's first show was, like, on Piebald's gear or something like yeah. that. So I think, yeah, back then that, that stuff was all tied together. Yeah, like it's once again like, you know, it's but it's funny when you talk about how like rave stuff and of course like wrestling something that I get obsessed with, but it, like mm-hmm. it's amazing how it always weirdly connects back to punk rock in some ways, you know, with well, these people. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it, it, that's the to me that's like the origination of like the youth DIY spirit, you know. I mean, no no one no one was doing it. I'm sure I mean I'm sure some some bored dickhead is like, yeah, well, actually, in the '60s, there was the garage psych scene. Yeah, all right, but I'm sure that that was uh, put on by kids. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like I feel like people like learn how to how to do things from the punk scene, how to like 
do it themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you still required, like, even when you look at, you know, there are obviously DIY scenes forever, like you're saying, but, like, it's just something, like, about making music that didn't want any validation or be, making a culture that didn't need or want any validation from the mainstream culture. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, didn't relate to the mainstream culture in any way. Like, you can really see how that eventually, like, you know, lends itself perfectly to pro wrestling and to... Uh, and and to, I'm, I'm sure to rave music too. Like you know, like you hear stories about a lot of the early rave people in England being people that came out of punk rock or out of oh. these different scenes, right? Dude, hundred hundred percent, especially over there. I think here it's definitely a little different, but mm-hmm. not entirely. But but there for sure. I mean, you know, I mean, like the the Acid House and and early early stuff there like comes directly from you know. Um, you know the the post punk scene. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Here, you know, here, I think you know it was it came from uh, it was more of a black thing in like Detroit and Chicago and 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 sprouted from there. But I think uh, even even then, I'm sure you you can find some some cool tie in with punk. Oh yeah, like well, we were talking Moby earlier, right? Like, yeah, right. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, or and, and even today, like someone like Bass Nectar being in like a fucking six two five band. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I didn't know that. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which one now. Uh, anyway, it's on his cogs. If you look up on the discogs, let's let's stick to good rave references. <laughs> I like. I, I have no like that is my area. That's where I get really exposed at my <laughs> real lack of knowledge about music outside of of records that came out on Epitaph or Fat Records. um but yeah like i have i have no idea one way or the other on quality but like certainly even today like you know someone like diplo having connections to like the florida bands and the florida scene that was happening there and and um you know even like tribe called red up here has connections to punk rock and stuff like it feels like it still churns out you know and i and i know you kind of maligned it earlier even but the goth boy click stuff having connections to punk rock too right like there's it's still funny how it keeps churning up stuff and, and even cold world having connections to ghost main <laughs> yeah i mean i, I don't know in the mo- in the modern the more modern um connections i don't know what to attribute that to like i think i said before we started this i don't buy the complete connection i, I don't buy into that as much but i think the earlier connections it, it all goes back to, you know, having having to to have the place to perform at, you know, and I think they just run into each other from working it out like the the local the local venue and working with each other probably on you know booking booking gigs and stuff like that and flyering. So I think I think that that is always uh, the, just the DIY aspect, you know. I think that's the connection. Yeah, like well. You know, it's it's the on ramp, right? Like, there's yep. no no barrier to entry, well, very little barrier to entry. Like, it's amazing. I did a podcast that never came out because the audio was really, really rough on it, unfortunately, with uh, mm-hmm. Vagabond and Horror at a festival, like that H O nine nine O nine group. Yeah, yeah. And both of them talked about how that it was that Brooklyn, uh, you know, DIY waterfront scene was like where they got into to going to shows and got into music and realized that like, Oh shit, we can do this and, and oh, yeah. get on stage and do it. And so it's like, even into the modern era, those spaces are still providing like on ramps for people. I, it's interesting though. I mean like a lot of the, like I said, like the, a lot of the current 
the current stuff where where people get big and then they're like, yeah, you know, it all comes from us come growing up going to hardcore punk shows, and it's like, I don't know, man, I would have seen this dude at a show <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah, hundred percent that happens. So I I think people people even just like in my job, man, just because. In my job, I work in like streetwear and sneakers and, you know, the big thing now with these kids is like, yeah, culture, the culture. And when it comes down to it, their cult, they don't have – their culture is like buying a thing, you know. So they have to like find stuff to pretend they were into. So there's all these like new like streetwear brands. It's like influenced from Justin's time of coming up in the, the New Brunswick punk scene. And I'm like, oh, yeah, huh. You know, so I'll text, you know, Yeeman or, or Porter. I was like, oh, you know, you know, young Justin, you know, <laughs> I went to your hood and they don't know you, fam. You know, like Justin is a made up person. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but but there's countless there's countless um, inst- instances of this, you know, so I think it's just it's just like, dude, you can't. I mean, now you can fake it, but, you know. When it comes down to it, you, can, you were either there at the shows with with five people that cost like a can of soup and two bucks to get into, like we were talking about before we started, or you weren't. You know. Well, I think there's like there's levels, right? Like we were in the deepest, dankest pits of what is described <laughs> as punk rock. Like, yeah, you're at the uh, the Assuck Reversal of Man tour <laughs> show, and you paid your five bucks, and it's like. It's like that's where you're at, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's, but there are people that were like, you know, it's it's just it's funny how you know this thing keeps attracting people, and you know, people get into whatever level they're able to get into it, but like it keeps attracting these people that wind up doing interesting things, and like even right. if it is something that's not as cool or as down, but like you know, I don't know the fact that like the guy from Rockers NYC learned to silkscreen from the dude from America's hardcore. Like that shit is like, I don't know. I think streetwear once again, like, you know, yourself, like it connects to punk rock in, in ways, even in the fake ways, it's still connected to punk mm-hmm. rock. Cause like how many fucking first wave punk bands were fake? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, fake what? I mean, if it doesn't exist yet, how are you fake? You know, it's just well, like, okay. We uh, you have the podcast that it was Zach Blair and Don Letts. Like yeah, yeah. When Zach, yep, yep. when Zach Blair brings up the Stranglers and Don Letts, it just gives them the worst look ever, and mm-hmm. it's like they weren't part of it. Yeah, I mean that's how people are with um, uh, Vice Squad, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about them like that, but it's, I think that's you know after you get into the minutia and into the weeds, it's like, I mean, to me, the Stranglers were they're like. They're just like a rock dude. They sound more like the Doors, and they do the Sex Pistols. So, <laughs> yeah. not not to diss them, but you know what I mean. Like I, I think like they're one of those bands that get lumped in with punk unwillingly, maybe. Oh, I've seen very willingly. I think they were. Yeah, yeah. I think they. I think they probably really. I think they've really benefited from benefited from that. No, but I, but what I mean is like they weren't out there like with like uh, clothespins through their nose and stuff like that. Like they were. They, to me, they to to that scene, they they were like, kind of like the other the other way of the jam. Like they were like, they were like the punks that like didn't hate Pink Floyd. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But like, you know, I think they were probably slightly older too. 
you know, yeah. and, yep. Yep. and looked at this as being, well, like, let's lean into this a little bit. Yeah, probably. I mean, hey, man, that's the thing back to do. Major labels are rocking with you, man. Why, yep. why not? I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'll sell. I'll sell out right now if anybody's listening. <laughs> but these things are like it's 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 all like relative to what you're seeing in your era, too. Right. Like the way mm-hmm. and how deep you were, like especially doing this show. It's funny. I'll have someone on and then I'll have someone else on who will be like, yo, off the record. You had that person on. I don't remember seeing them in any of these shows. <laughs> and I'd be like. Oh, really? You know, like, I'm not, you know, like, I had someone accuse, uh, you know, off, you know, someone write me and be like, that that guest you had on made up their entire life. I'm convinced they made up their entire life and and just trying to be on the podcast. I'm like, I don't think anyone's putting that much effort into getting on this podcast. But, yeah, yeah. But it, it's still, it's, it's, it's funny how, you know, and how we're still all weirdly protective of this thing. Definitely. When when really there's there's no reason to be gives a fuck. But yeah, <laughs> you know, if I was if I if I was really put up against the wall and said, "Do you really give a fuck?" No, you know, because because it's like you know, to I I think about it a lot, man. Because like I told you before we started recording, you know, I work from home, so I'm always hearing my thoughts. So. To me, man, like the the the, the reason you start Fugazi and the reason you start uh, Herman and his hermits psychologically is probably the same same reason. It's like some Buddy Holly shit. You, it's like how you want to project yourself to be seen mm-hmm. to other people, you know. So I, I think it's all it's all the same, man. Like if 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 I'm getting <laughs> if I'm getting deep, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Like I think that's the thing is it, we're all driven by our some twisted narcissism that makes us want to get up on stage exactly and and like yep. dance for applause yep yep and especially when you're a teenager man i mean you know yeah. what it's about you're like yeah i just wrote this song i know i'm yeah when i'm playing this song she's <laughs> gonna be in the audience <laughs> that's what it's all about man yeah and it's, and, and it's like then it's about like impressing your peers or yep. Yep. or fitting in like the reason i wanted to be in a band is because all my friends were in bands and i'm like oh god like i can't be the only one not in a band yeah. Like I gotta be doing this. Well, you know what? That's that's like one one differential between um, hardcore and punk kids that that I that I find is there's ones who like find their identity because they found out what hardcore is and then they got into music from that. And then there's people who, if hardcore punk didn't exist, they would they would be into music no matter what. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I think there's you know. It's yeah, it's inter- it's interesting, man. That's what makes heart. That's what makes like punk so interesting. Is that there's like a, it's it's like dude, like now like another thing, and it's kind of tied to streetwear. Is like now like the big thing is um the Grateful Dead, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that so you know you have like, it's just it's just interesting. Everyone trying to like rewrite this the like what being into the Grateful Dead in high school is, because dude, people that were into Grateful Dead in high school were like boring people that were just into their like parents music they didn't they didn't like music and what like once a year they would go to see fish or whatever and smoke a joint and that made them interesting and that was it that's literally there's like now and now they're trying to like like i had this argument with my friend nick and i was like dude like i'm sorry but like that's not a culture like you know what i mean like those 
to, to me it's not like yeah there's a culture of like selling drugs in the parking lot and like so if if that's the culture then it's bad it's like <laughs> it's just like dark there's no positivity to the culture what every everyone just goes to see these old old dudes and I, the, the culture is they just like destroy themselves to this <laughs> it's crazy man come on see I, I i can come at it i can see both sides definitely on this argument because i agree with you, the music is 99% completely unlistenable. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that for me, like, I like, I actually don't mind that first record. That's a decent record. There's some really good songs on it. But uh, like, Box, Box of Rain. Yeah, yeah, but like, when it's like a two-hour jam, and it's just like, all these, like, I don't get it. But at the same time, like, I also see how, you know, there's all the connection to, like, the Hell's Angels. There's all, right. like, the, it's, here's the thing. It's all interesting. I'm not dissing – I'm not even dissing the music and I'm not dissing their the band and the original. I'm talking about in the 90s yeah, and no, early 2000s brutal. where it's like the the kid. Like if you're yeah. in high school, if yeah. you're in high school and that and that is what you're into, yo, you're a dork, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I would – I remember like – so I listened to – um, Stern three days a week. You know, every day he's on, I listen to it because when I, I a, a job that I used to have was delivering chips for Frito Lay uh, Incorporated, <laughs> and so, so I would have time to like listen to Stern and podcasts and stuff. And you know, all the early podcasts were like comedians. You know, yeah. So I would find I'd be like, oh yeah, this is a comedian. I wonder what he's talking about. I wonder, you know, so many times they're like, yeah, you know, in high school I was just like really into like Grateful Dead and stuff. I'm like, what the fuck? All these comedians were dorks in high school. So to me, it's like, I don't know, man. It's, it's, those were like people that had no, no, no personality in high school. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. There's that infamous Vivian girls quote where they, you know, which they got jumped on, I think completely unnecessarily for, but about the fact that, you know, normals and not relating to normals. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't, I, any like I think back to high school and like I had friends that weren't into punk rock definitely but like yeah. the vast majority of my friends like if you weren't questioning the shit around you and weren't into something cool be it rap or punk like you probably were were like a not like not I don't want to say because dork because that implies that they I'm saying I was cool I right. wasn't cool right. That's the thing that, and that's, that's why I wanted to preface whatever story I told earlier where I was like, I was a dork. I was not like, yeah, it's not that you're better than these people, but, (laughs) but you know what it is? It's, it's like when you go to, when you see like a, a kid in high school and you're like, this, this person is already, I already know his adult form. Yeah. Yeah. That is what a normal is. You know what I'm saying? And also like, yeah, like a, a band in this in this day and age will will get like any you, you get you get ridiculed or, or or roasted for for saying normie or whatever now because you can't say anything like any you have to think of, of the post 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 reactionist you know what I mean like like obviously if somebody says anything like like racist or sexist or homophobic like that's whack but now we're to the point where we can't even differentiate ourselves from normies like come on like. In high school, when you'd go to your friend's a friend's house, you never at his ha- at his house before, and you go into his bedroom and you see his like Iowa stereo. You know, everybody <laughs> had those like fucking lame ass CD 
five CD changers, and you saw a stack of Hootie and the Blowfish, Pearl Jam, and uh, fucking Crash Test Dummies, and that was a CD. That's a normie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that is a normie. You know, I, it's funny you pick those three bands because I can also connect all three of those bands back to punk rock, but I won't subject you to that now because I agree with you on the thesis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, you can connect them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, that, that's a normie, you know. That's, no, it's that's 100%. A uh, and, it's, and it's like, why would you, like, not like, why would you be into what you're into? Like, you're into what you're into, but at the same time, like, I just, I just couldn't be into that stuff. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I mean, for me, it was probably... I, I don't know if I was insecure or, or whatever. Like I, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't cool. I wasn't good looking. I needed maybe, you know, maybe deep down I needed an angle. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I was, like I, I was like uh, a coworker. I sent her like the, the picture of these new uh, Tyler, the creator shoes that came out. I was like, tell me these aren't straight out of a 1997 Delia's catalog. And I know that because I was, you know, in 1997, I would look at the Delia's catalog and be like, oh yeah, these girl, these chicks would get me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not the chicks in high school with the Grateful Dead shirts and the um, the Birkenstocks or whatever that they were wearing then. You know, these Delia's chicks with the, the big ass chunky sneakers, they would think I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it, it's it's amazing how like you know you feel this call, I feel this call, like. Alita, Amy from the WWE feels this call. Like Steve Aoki's feeling this call out in California. Like it's, it just draws all these wild, interesting people. And it's also like, we're talking about, like, obviously I have a very broad definition as people that listen to this podcast know of punk rock and, and people that, you know, and I, I think people can claim it, but like, if we're talking about like DIY basement, you know, can of soup and $5 type hardcore shows or $2 in a can of soup type hardcore shows. You know, it's amazing how many people came out of the, crawled out of those basements and are doing stuff. That's like crazy interesting or fascinating. Well, you know, what else is amazing is the amount of people that were hard, hard line, straight edge psycho warriors that are now, you know, posting their dog on Instagram five times a day and are just like complete they they they're normies now it's like it's it's it's, yeah it's weird man i mean it's just it's just part of growing up you know like when you do you ever think that you know when when you look at fallout boy that like that hardline scene begets fallout boy years later in a way yeah Yeah. (laughs) so it's so it's like even that hardline stuff produces you know dog Instagram posters and uh, pop stars. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Hardline, it was probably just, that was just a, a regional thing though, right? Like at that, that area, that's what straight edge was. Well, you know? it popped up in like, like, I'm like uh, Hardline. This is a, one of the areas I'm like obsessed with and fascinated. I don't know. I don't know too much about it, to be honest. So there, there are only three Hardline bands ever, right? There was Vegan Reich raid and statement from england and statement's just one dude it's like a (laughs) one-man band and the guy from statement disavowed hardline real early on because he definitely didn't agree with some of the less than appealing side of the politics um 
And he was like, and he's still going, apparently. I don't know if he's still going to this day, but in the early 2000s, he was still putting out records. Oh, wow. And, and he's like a real anarcho kind of like peace punky type guy. Um, okay. But then, and then there was the raid stuff, uh, which of now is beget Lucero. And then the stuff on the, the West Coast, that was like Vegan Reich and that. And I've never seen any live footage of Vegan Reich. Hmm. At all, like it's, it's. I've been looking for for a while now, and I can only really find like one or two flyers and no live photos, at all. But uh, and of course, you know, raid. There's a bunch of stuff online. That yeah, you know. vegan Reich are interesting because they, from what I remember, I mean, dude, I, I never listened to fucking hardcore, let alone this. Like, you know what I mean? Like on the daily. So it's been a, years, but yeah, aren't vegan Reich like? Like they have fast songs and shit, yep. right? Like, yep. like they they have like outburst parts and stuff. Like they weren't straight chugga 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 like you would think they were. And same with Raid too, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Pair, I, I remember talking like Scott Bybin from mm-hmm. Bloodlink Records. Yeah, uh, was part of it too. He was like he he identified as hardline and was part of the movement and like oh got, really? Kick, he got kicked out of hardline. I remember him telling me this when I was like a little kid. So maybe he was just fucking with me and I've just bought it for all these years. Is he um is he still a person? Is he still around? I think so. Like it was a, a you know mind you that it's like ten years ago now, but like I think yeah. so. I, I I should look him up because he would be. I do. I'll tell you what. That would be a great interview. It'd be a real interesting one. Definitely the yeah. Springer stuff. Yeah, I mean, I look. That dude doesn't know who I am, but but when I first the first couple of years of being in Philly, like I, I I ran into him with other people a couple of times, and that's an he's an interesting dude, and and you know he comes from that era in the in the mid '90s where in early '90s where it was like, you know, like those dude. This is another thing that I bring up if if I'm getting a in a to a talk about hardcore. It's like. Who who is the modern kid who's throwing yogurt at Earth Crisis? Like, where's <laughs> where's the you know what I'm saying? Like, who's taking the piss? Like, I don't I don't see any any interesting or funny or like you know what I'm saying? Like, where, where's the 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 rabble rousers? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, I think also the thing is like it get shit gets bigger now, right? Really quickly, like the stuff that's actually going to get big gets bigger mm-hmm. really quick. So you don't really have that the same sort of like big egos cast of characters kind of like living in the scene that's only really like a thousand people when you get down to it. You yeah, know? and you, I guess I guess I just I I second guess it because it's just like okay, like look, man, I know who starts hardcore bands. Ninety percent of these kids went to college. They're they're smart individuals, and. They're only interested in in making people fake kick and punch one another for for twenty minutes. Like that's the that's the that's what we're there they're there for. Like no one wants to, you know what I'm? It's, I don't know. It's crazy to me. That's like that whole the whole like cerebral aspect is gone. In in my opinion, I think also yeah, you had like some real genuine kind of like weird people <laughs> involved in it. and like. Yeah. I think even if you look back earlier on, you had some really, you know, like, and out of that, you know, there's genius, but out of that, there's also like just straight up weirdness. But, you know, like you go back to the beginning, you see that too. Like it's, once again, I think it's just such a magnet for interesting personalities. And like, I think now it's harder to be into shit, right? Like I, I worked at a, a cannabis marketing company um, last year for a while and I would go in there and I'd be like, 
talking to people and I'd be like, Oh, what are you into? And everyone's like, I, I play video games. I play like, you know, <laughs> this video game on, you know, and, yeah, yeah. or it's like, Oh, I like, I like Drake. And it's like, Oh, what else? It's like, uh, you know, uh, wh- like some random song that's on the radio. Um, it really feels like you don't need to cling to culture for identity as much as we did. Well, it's crazy because the person that the, the person said that probably with like dyed purple hair, uh, <laughs> gauged ears. You know what I'm saying? Like that person looked ten times crazier than anyone at a fucking hardline show, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You no, know, it, it's weird, man. It's weird. It, well, it's just like it's it's different, right? Like it's such. Like I think about movies. Do you remember movies in the '90s? How it was like, you dude. Know, I bring this up all the time. Yep. It's different, right? Like, and, and, yep. and now it's like, there's no such, th- like, obviously there is these things, but well, like, now, it's, now it's TV. Cause I always, I'm all, I always say like where to, to, to me, it's just like the streamlining of everything and, and, and the, this streaming and like all that. I think it's just, it's just killed culture as a whole because I, I don't even mean indie culture or underground culture, but even just, it's like with movies, it's like, I'm not a big movie person. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about movies. Uh, I focused hyper-focused on music f- from an early age. So I, I missed movies, but I do know that it's like, where is like the silence of the lambs of today. Where's like the single white female, like the blockbuster movies that everybody saw, but they weren't (laughs) Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like what the, what the fuck? But I guess it's, it's, it's Netflix. It's, it's TV now. It's not movies. So there's always an answer to everything where we're like, dude, everything sucks now. You know, there's always an, there's always an answer that makes you look like a dumbass. But in reality, it's like, I don't know, man. Well, like, we've we've moved to like such a intense monoculture. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the idea of like saying you don't, and maybe it's because everything has to happen in public now. But like the idea of going online and saying you just don't like this artist, like holy shit, will you? You know, you'll get like a raft of fans coming at you, dude. And it's it's just like it it it's different now, like. <laughs> Well, that trickle. I mean, that trickles down to punk. I mean, it's definitely not cool to say that a band sucks on on Twitter. You never see that in hardcore. Now you're right. You don't. Yeah, you don't see that. It's not cool. But when I do, when I was first, you know, (laughs) message boards, hardcore punk message boards back then. I mean, dude, if Cold World never played a show, I would think that we didn't have any fans. You know what I mean? Or, Or fans or people that liked us. You know, but even before that, you know, like I remember like local message boards, like I remember like I got like really into strife and I remember like everybody, all the older dudes on whatever message board it was, they said that they were just a judge ripoff and they sucked. You know what I mean? So like, you know, you, you don't, you don't see that now. People like totally roasting bands or bands getting called out for, for sucking, you know, it was almost like as soon as a band got popular in hardcore, everyone had to like, it was like the enemy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like it would just be like, well, the page is turned on that band. Let's get out the <laughs> knives. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's different. It's very different now. It's like a lot more, and it's probably better to be honest with you because it's a lot more positive. Right. Well, like I said, like you, you could, you could have your, you know, your view on it, but then someone c- can explain to you how it's better this way. And, I get that, but for some reason, I just I just think like I, I was better off being a teenager 
you know, or whatever in like nine, 1992 or 1993. And I was able to, you know, I don't know, just the amount of cool shit that even like, just like, I don't know if you like, I, like I was super into comic books then, you know, like it, it all, like there was like un- cool, like underground comics and mm-hmm. shit. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seemed like there was so much more subversity in a, in, in a, and it, and it also seems like it was, it was like more, uh, intelligent you know you you'd be you'd be faced with more like intelligent outlooks you know where like this the a kid now like a teenager you know they get into like Fortnite or whatever the fuck like what what's that gonna do to them is that gonna you know what I, like memes are really gonna like make someone intelligent like the way you know what i'm saying the way that like reading like interesting zines were back in the day or something i, I don't know like i said someone always has a reason to where yeah of course it's better now so i'm probably wrong but from my experience i i don't i don't see it well it's, you know and i also i've talked about this with different people um you know i don't think i ever talked about it on the show though but like I think the the generation that we were from in in punk and hardcore was like a very, it was like such an interesting time. It was kind of like you still because you had grown up having to pay for information, mm-hmm. um, you still valued information in a really very intense way. But then all of a sudden, it was all free, and so or it wasn't, but it was all accessible, you know. And so you could go to all sorts of places. I don't even before the internet kind of blew up, like blew up. Like I sound like I'm a thousand years old, but. <laughs> But, like, before the internet became, like, part of our daily lives even, like, distribution was different. Like, this stuff post-Nirvana was popping up in mainstream places post, you know, uh, like, there were, like, great mainstream rap records coming out of the 90s. There's great Mm -hmm. films that were getting distributed properly and you'd hear about them and there was, like, an independent press that would be there to bolster this stuff up. And and it felt like, yeah, like, it was just, like, we were were a very... uh, lucky generation to have this kind of like uh, awareness and, and understanding of the value of this stuff. And then suddenly to have all the access to it. Yeah. Well then when you have, when you quote unquote have all the access, not to get on some conspiracy theorist shit, cause I'm not that at all. I hate that. But you know, then, then you're, then you're the young consumer is at the will of the host you know, when you walk into the record store or the comic shop, you know, you, you know, you see um, whatever, you know, current incarnation of X-Men, X-Men or Superman is there. But then next to it, there's, you know, just a couple rows down, there's eight ball or hate or, you know, or wh- whatever, you know, mm-hmm. same with 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 a record store. Whereas now, you know, you go on iTunes or, or Spotify, and you go to the the new the new releases or whatever. It's it's what they tell you is there, you know. Yeah, I don't. It's it just it it dumbs you down, man. Well, it, it it's it's yeah, because now like you have everything at your fingertips, and, and yeah. constantly, and it's just like I go through it. Like when I'm like, what the fuck am I going to listen to? Like I got everything you, to listen to. You have everything at your fingertips, but it's still it's it's still like. You still have to have the the. You still have to be the person who wants to find something different. You know, I, that's how I see it. Like, it's just like when you know, in my job, like with the the kids that like that I work with. You know, you would think I'd be finding out about the new rappers from them, but I'm not. And it, it <laughs> bums it bums me out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. what you got? You guys still don't know about Chef G. You don't know, you know, you don't know, you know, whatever. 
you don't know UK Drill yet, they're still on. They're still on Travis Scott because they only want one. They only yeah, they want Travis. Yeah, they yeah, got that's... they got Travis Scott. It's a good Travis Scott. Why would yep. I need to look anywhere else? So the, same with like Drake or. You know, or same with it, even like on, on, on like rock music stuff, like people get their one band and they're like, this yeah. is why, why would I need anything else? I got this like, well, it's because, because they're a normie. They're the kid with normie, the yeah. hootie and the blowfish and, and Pearl Jam CD next to their Iowa. Yeah. No, it's, it's, <laughs> we, we, we're in a generation where it was conceivable that you could be completely untouched by a corporation. You could just be like this like independent musician putting out your independent records, like touring independently dumpster diving for your donuts and, and just like, you know, it, your records are distributed by ebullition. You know, they yeah. were sold at DIY stores without a barcode. Yeah. That doesn't exist. That will never exist again. I mean, dude, think about that whole scene where it's like it, ex- it only exists as like seven inch rips. Yeah on youtube and blog spots you know what i mean like is is the like lincoln and hoover split on itunes i don't fucking know is is the um portraits of past discography on spotify (laughs) who the fuck knows but what doesn't portraits of the past have connection to tim and eric too yeah i think the dude that played in um ink and dagger might have been eric yeah eric Eric was in that band too so there you go (laughs) we need we need like a full like a numero group reissue of just the philadelphia seven inch in brown paper envelope sleeves well dude this is here it also makes me think of like you know when, when things get deemed you know good or bad or in the canon or not in the canon of of history of punk that era of stuff you know, is, isn't deemed good for some reason, you know, when they, when they write the history book, that's just going to be a, a blip in it, you know, like that whole scene. It's like, it's like, it may have never existed for some reason. Like it doesn't, it doesn't get, do you know what, do you know what yeah, I'm saying? No, like, the, yeah. The early nineties are, are like a time that, you know, Chris and I on, on footnotes have become kind of obsessed with because it's the idea that like, it's, it's like the dark time, like before, Green Day really hits and everything gets picked up again, um, where it's just kind of this valley of of stuff kind of happening, like Seven Inches and, and Fescore. It's like, yeah. but then you think about like all the shit, like that's Steve Aoki wilding out on the floor at the Pickle Patch or, or mm-hmm. like, you know, like Tim or Eric from Tim and Eric, you know, playing in Frail or not Frail, like Porch of the Past, but yeah. like. You know, like all these. Get bands. it right, man. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, you know, even uh, even Jack Johnson uh, was involved in like the California kind of emo scene. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's 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 unending. I mean that that when it comes down to it, that scene was you know it it was um, earnest. You know, it, it was, was definitely earnest. <laughs> You know, these dudes had their seven inches. The covers were like threaded together with like yarn yeah. and shit. Um, you know, that it was cool. Is it is it is it listenable to the average um, hardcore kid's ear now? Probably not. You know, I bet you that stuff comes back in a big way in the next couple of years. I'm thinking. I hope so, man. Because because like I said, man, like I know the I know the demographic of the kids in these bands that are pretending to be idiots they're pretending to they're pretend not idiots because i don't want to because that, that's gonna they're pretending to be street dudes they're pretending to be 
altercation. They're not, you know, like you, you, it's, it's like this band, they're not dissing them. Cause I think they're, they're good at what they do, but this band, do you know this band three knee deep? I, I don't think I do know that band. Okay. So they're, they're a new band from Florida and they're like heavy ass beat down shit. Like they study like second to none and back to basics shit. You know, yeah, like I, yeah. I could tell what they, you know, and they make a lot of rap references, but the reason I like them is because the rap references they they make they're not like making like lame like gangstar references like they they're making like like regional rap references like they talk they like reference like Tony Draper like the dude who owned Suave House Records back in the day like stuff like that yeah you know it's not it's not the kind of hardcore I listen to but but they are like writing you know they they think twice about the the riff they write which yeah. is which I think is rare now but anyway like. You know, all the songs are like, you know, it's a, it's like Fury of Five shit, you know? Dude, the, the singer is like a chemist. And that, like that was the, like, it was like that with Fury of Five, too, I think. <laughs> no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's funny. It's like, it's it's like, yo, you you guys have more of an education than than you know, probably any Discord band, but you're pretending to be beating dudes down. Like I, it's it's like, doesn't that and they do it well and it's it's cool. I'm not dissing them. So I'm, I'm just using them as an example. But it's like how long can it go where everyone is just kind of cosplaying? And I know that like, you know, a lot of people could point the finger at Cold World as like as as helping start it. Um and I I kind of like trade if you want to like talk like inside baseball, me and like uh George from Blacklist that we talk about it a lot. Like we you know, like in the in like the like it seems like there's definitely like a crossover point where like you know like at first like dudes that were into youth crew stuff or whatever they didn't like they didn't always like madball mm-hmm. you know they didn't like that stuff they didn't like anything except for that and like you know and vice versa and then i think you know like no warning and right brigade and once like once death threat started playing with us yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah. that's when the crossover and then there was no turning back you know and i and i and, and you know i think the music got better because of it as far as like that heart you know hard ass hardcore but i think you 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 lost that regionality where like if you were to mix where if you were to like associate it with like rap like you know there was a point when rap was regional every different area of the country sounded completely different and then there was a flip of the switch and everybody and it all sounded the same you know i think that that well, that happened in hardcore well now that we're getting super inside baseball it's funny that both artists that do that are from toronto right like people accuse drake of being the flip switcher in rap music where all of a sudden it became like you know not regional became like the sort of pan regional kind of style and and you know no warning too like you know all of a sudden new york hardcore wasn't in new york it was being done in toronto yeah i don't know that's a good point i i think um i think the early the earliest seed of it that i can remember was finding out that in my eyes dudes saying backups on a madball seven inch Mm-hmm. Or some, some, I forget what it was, but it was like, but for something like that, and I was like, "What? That's fucking crazy!" <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it kind of spitballed from there. And I think maybe you know, it might have started in Boston, 
R- really, you know, I think, I think it started in Boston, like that side of it, but I still think it's like more connected. Um, like Sweet Pete to the to the Madball dudes is somehow mm-hmm. more connected than than uh, Toronto to. You're right. You're Madball. right. Because No Warning was more of like a case study. Yeah, and No Warning. Yeah, a hundred percent. Those guys, you know, and I say the same thing about Drake. You know, and this is not an insult because I I love No Warning and I and I also have unbelievable amounts of respect for Drake. But both of them, like what they did was like analyze this music, and it's like a very postmodern approach to it like oh shit maximum penalty oh, totally. demo and like yeah. over seven inch and like i mean dude drake i mean like the, on that last album scorpion there was like samples where it was like like the hook to the one song is like a sample of this memphis dude mc mac which is so fucking blog spot reddit style regional <laughs> rap like he's you know it's it's crazy. So yeah, it is yeah. a case study like that, you know, where Drake's like, okay, we'll add a little bit of Houston, a little bit of uh, rap and forte, a little bit of this and that, you know. So, and it's dope on a music aspect, just like No Warning were, you know, because it comes out, it's like, oh, they did this perfectly. Like they, you know, they know about breakdown, yeah. You know, yeah. whereas a, a youth crew, straight edge kids, and in, in sometimes in New Jersey didn't know about breakdown at the time, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, it's, it's good for the music. And, and at the time it was genius, but it led us down a dark path possibly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Cause like hardcore and, and, and hip hop start in New York at the same time, right? Like same, same moment in history. Like, you know, like, you know, like they kind of really get going. And and then they both kind of meet this sort of like weird crossroads in Toronto, which is New York with training wheels, as we're called. <laughs> you know, New York with training wheels. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know. I, I find it interesting. And like once again, I'm like a fan musically, and I can kind of you know I don't think it's as dire as you're describing what happened, but I think yeah, no, no, no. But you definitely can see it. You're right. Like and and like also right brigade. Go Put on. me up against the wall and ask me if I really give a fuck or if it means anything. No, it doesn't. Like I said, this is just us getting getting inside baseball if we're really going to have to dissect it. Yeah. In reality, who gives a shit? Yeah, but also <laughs> it's funny you brought up Right Brigade. That Right Brigade demo, um, that that changed uh, Toronto uh, or like the no warning part of Toronto hardcore in a huge way. Like when they heard that demo, yep. that's when they changed their sound. Yeah, you know what? I, I think like I think it was like – might have been like Blood for Blood's influence yeah. on the on the Boston youth crew dudes, and then going from there, you know. That's interesting. I never thought about the Blood for Blood influence on the Boston stuff, but yeah, a hundred percent that would make sense mm-hmm. too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, those bands were, were de- those dudes were dealing with hard asses up there probably before anybody, you know, because in you know when things were sec- more separated. It definitely like in Wilkes-Barre, it's like, you know, there's two different scenes, basically, you know, mm-hmm. if you wanted to see Warzone or, or, or Strife or any kind or Crutch or any of those bands, you had to go to CC's and then all the other stuff was at um, VFW halls and, and shit like that. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it, it's a it's interesting to like look at that. It's funny because also like Blood for Blood would play Toronto a lot before uh, they kind of got popular in in kind of like other parts of the hardcore scene so when they were still kind of playing in the more kind of like 
you know, they would play here with um, like like stigmata and stuff, mm-hmm. and there'd be like twelve people at these shows. Like I would be there, yeah. and then there'd be all these like real tough guy type types. <laughs> and my little brother would be there, and and maybe a couple other kids that would wind up becoming like, you know, part of the scene. But it was like it was not connected to like you're describing, like the the quote unquote hardcore scene in Toronto. Like that was a very separate kind of scene from this scene. Yeah, I mean, there you know, like anything, you 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 know, it's obviously still hardcore, and and you know, like I remember like those two bands specifically played like Dan Mills from Cold World and Magus. Like he put on a show that it was. Blood for Blood, Stigmata, um, and it was in Nanny Coke at this place. I don't know what the, I don't even know what this place was. It was just like a community center. Yeah, it was actually where the the very first Posse numbers was. But I remember it was like early Blood for Blood where they had they had like a woman guitar player. Like I think their second guitar player was a woman at the time. Yes, you a bass player. Okay, bass player. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a sick show. Yeah, they were that. I I love that band. Like I, and I think I got hip to them because the Victory catalog had talked about them, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I got to check this band out. And then they were coming to Toronto. They played here. They like I don't know why they kept coming back. Like they came <laughs> here like three times to no more than fourteen people. One time, them and Stigmata and maybe a third band played at like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. And then they had to clear them all out because the promise ring and grade show was happening at the venue that night. Oh shit. It was brutal. See, I would rather see promise ring than any of those bands at that time. <laughs> I went, I was at both shows. Uh, like, you know, you're like yourself. I was one of the people that liked, uh, you know, yeah. all of it. So I went to both shows and both were sick. <laughs> you know? Yeah, of course, man. Of course. Everything was sick then. I mean, it was not in retrospect. Like I said, that's a, that's the thing. Like the people writing the book of, of the canon of what was good and what's not, you know, you know, a lot of the shit that I think was so good isn't, you know, it doesn't make the cut or whatever. I, I don't care. Yeah. Like there's definitely bands that I think are just like completely written out of, of modern hardcore history. Like they just didn't even happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's interesting to see like, oh yeah, like, but that shit was huge, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, yeah. yeah, like do people, I mean, especially like, like, I remember like, uh, the big thing at like the last, maybe t- the last like Wilkes-Barre Fest for Posse Numbers was Romulans. Yeah, the Romulan haircut. Yeah. You know? And I was like, dude, what the, f- what is this? You know, like I didn't, you know, like the. Do people know about Romulans now? I don't know. Well, yeah. Do people appreciate how influential the Locusts were uh, outside of music? Like just like fashion wise on on the scene at that point? Like it was like like the Romulan thing. That comes from San Diego. Yeah, yeah. That, well, I mean that's like what? Justin Pearson shit or whatever. Yeah, right? like it's like – it was a it was a zeitgeist, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was or or even like a band like Shutdown, you know, like that band was was huge, and like I've never heard anyone talk about them since. I mean, I'm sorry if anyone's listening from Shutdown, but I mean they're it's because they're unlistenable. But uh... <laughs> they had a good judge song. They they had Craig Sutari doing vocals on the one song. They were uh, and they're back to basics too. Yeah, dude. You know what? Um... There's this one band that had a split on Back to Basics with with Mushmouth, who are a really heavy ass PA hardcore band, but they were from the Scranton the Scranton area, mm-hmm. 
they were called um, Live In Proof. And that's that's a, a band from from PA that I feel like need needs to not needs to be talked about, but I would like much like the burial ground. I'd like to mention because they were interesting, dude. They, they, I remember like posting on the Herps board. I posted the posted the demo one time, and these dudes like I remember the the singer and the bass player. Their names were Pepe and Eduardo, and they would be full out hip-hop gear like they wore like batters gloves when they were playing they looked so sick um are you there yeah, yeah, yeah okay and actually um the bass player for magnus jesse um was in 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 living proof early on before i knew him and i think he might have wrote a lot of the songs in the demo but anyway dude they were so hard and i remember i, I posted the demo on herps and dudes were like yo this actually sounds like hellhammer somehow <laughs> i gotta hear but, that demo Yo, it's so fucking good, man. Um, but the yeah, they, good. The split. Yeah, dude. They're, they're yeah. Both sides are good. Mushmouth back then they were like real heavy. Yeah. Um, but Living Proof were like, they were doing like the rap core, but it wasn't super rap core. Because like I said, like I think like them sounding like Hellhammer is on accident because they weren't, <laughs> fuck, you know, they weren't the greatest musicians. Yeah. But um, but they were awesome, man. So that that was like a probably a early influence on me. Um, as far as like incorporating like hip hop style into hardcore, like, you know, for sure. But, but yo, the, the lore that I, that I wanted to drop on you that I was meant now that I, I mentioned the dude, Jesse from Magnus. So the crazy thing about Matt's shit that I didn't tell you about Magnus, half of the members of Magnus now are, are dead. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that dude, Jesse, he was the bass player. He, um, he like moved to, moved to Cali or Vegas or something and moved around a little bit and he got really into uh, being a tattoo artist and he actually gave Britney Spears her first tattoo, right? And uh, remember those shows on MTV where it would be like the lifestyle of Britney Spears and it would just like go or, or whatever, celebrities, and it would like say, oh, Britney just got her first tattoo and it showed a picture of Jesse tattooing her. And then it showed a close-up of the tattoo, but it showed a different tattoo. <laughs> so Jesse sued MTV, of course, for misrepresent- misrepresenting his awesome tattoo skills, um, which was like you know like a two by two like butterfly or something at the time. Um, but he was awesome, man. He he was just like a naturally cool dude. But he got like you know he got uh, mixed up with drugs pretty bad, and he became best friends with um jay from jay and silent bob in real life like that, in real that, life that's... <laughs> and and so you know unfortunately you know if you know the lore of him like th- what comes along with that is yeah. they were drug buddies and he i think i don't know if like he died like when they were together but like him like dying of an overdose is i i heard is like what set the dude the dude jay like over the edge to like get clean that's wild yeah, yeah. Like I remember when he first like moved to Cali, like he, we, you know, we spoke sometimes. He'd be like, "Yeah, like I hang out with the dude Jason Muse." He's like, "I'm homies with like dudes that are in Far Side too, and a couple other bands I forget." But uh, but yeah, so that's how he died. Then um, the original drummer was this dude Hans, and he died like well after Magnus was a band. He died like when I think Cold World was already a band. So him dying wasn't what brought me in. But um, he he was like a cool dude in the scene. He was like really good at graffiti and stuff. And he like 
he would like was still around and Volk's Bear, but wasn't active in hardcore. He'd come around sometimes, but um, he was like really big into playing, being good at playing drums, which I am not. But um, he came to this this show. It was like Bane and uh, whatever Bill Stevenson's band was at the time. Only crime? Maybe I don't know. It I would have follow- been. I think only crime, really. Okay, yeah, cause I don't know, probably because I never heard of them. So um, I was at the show just like hanging out outside and um somebody came out i was like yo han's like like passed out or something i'm like what and they bring him out on a strip like an ambulance comes and they bring him out on the stretcher and like put it put him in the ambulance and i remember like me and this 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 dude not goofing on him but just being like oh this dude like hasn't been to a show in years and he comes back and it's all about him like making like some like super lame joke that's just so stupid but it turned out he had like some kind of heart problem he didn't know and just had like some so, some like a heart attack or something and died at that show. Wow. Yeah. And then um, the original guitar player. You know, I don't, sorry, not to cut yeah, you off on that, but I was going to say, you know, um, that guy, Zach Blair, we were talking about earlier from mm-hmm. it was in the MVP episode where they saved the Macho Man from the Misfits. Yeah, he was at that. He he played in that band, so he must have been at that show oh, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's fucking crazy. But yeah, apparently, I, I I'm not a Baniac, but apparently, Bane have a song about that, about a dude like dying at their show. That, that that's about Hans. Wow, that's so. I gotta ask Zach Blair about that too, because he would have been there too. Yeah, so there's some dark lore, and then there's this other dude, Hugh, who played guitar originally, who I used to say was dead. But he's not dead now because just because he dropped off the face of the earth, he was older than me. I didn't know him, and he like didn't have a presence. But then, like, I guess he started posting on Facebook and ruined my whole <laughs> my whole theory on him being dead. Uh, well, dude, we have talked. This has got to be one of the record breaking shows for the last little <laughs> run of shows. Anytime you want to come on, you know the door is always open. You Woj. Yeah, man, I can't wait to hear the footnote on this one. <laughs> You got to come on the footnote for this one. We got to do a dissection. Oh, yo, I'm down, man. I'm down. Thank you for coming on the show, Woj. And you heard right there, uh, Nick will be back for a part three at some point down the line because he and I have been texting ever since. There's a lot of stuff we didn't even get to. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe he's going to come back for a footnotes. You know, maybe we got to do some sort of. Uh, you know, next time we do a super show, I'm definitely going to invite Nick onto the super show. So there you go. Also, Nick DJs under the name Wojavelli, and you can find his stuff at soundcloud.com slash Wojavelli. And uh, yeah, check out check out some of the stuff he does. Uh, a brilliant, you know, producer, musician. All, he wears a lot of hats, this dude. Oh, I love that episode. I love that episode so much. Okay. Speaking of loving episodes, you're going to love the next episode because next episode of this show that is going to be dropping in a few days, we have the fucking legend. There's no no other way to put it with this guy. From the band Bad Religion, from the brand new band Fake Names, but also of the band Minor Threat, of Dag Nasty, of Junkyard, of Sam Hain. We get into all this stuff next week on the show. It is a... It is a doozy. It is a doozy and a half. So please tune in uh, next episode for Brian Baker. Uh, and and that's it. Okay. You know, I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, go out there and make your own culture. Fuck police brutality. Fuck racist cops. Fuck all that shit. Um, you know, fuck fascism. 100% fuck fascism. 
um, you know, sign your organ donor cards, create your own culture, um, but definitely fuck fascism. That's that's one hundred percent in mind right now. And uh, I'll see you next week on the show or next episode on the show. Uh, thanks for listening. Love you. Stay safe. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.